This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com forward slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com forward slash B-E. Welcome in, everybody, for today's episode of the Authority Podcast on the B Podcast Network. It is my pleasure today to be joined by Maria Brito. For those of you who are just learning about Maria's work, she's an award-winning New York City-based contemporary art advisor, entrepreneur, author, and curator. She was selected by Complex Magazine as one of the 20 power players in the art world, and her work and her self has been featured in media across the board from the New York Times, Time Magazine, Wall Street Journal, Vogue, Forbes, many, many more. Maria's book is called How Creativity Rules the World, The Art and Business of Turning Your Ideas into Gold. It's available from HarperCollins. It was the recipient of the Axiom Built Book Award in the entrepreneurship category. And we're going to talk about that today. Maria, welcome to The Authority. Thank you, Ross. How are you? I'm so happy to be here. And everybody who's listening, hello. Hi. Yes, I'm doing great. And uh, it's really a pleasure to have you here. And I loved reading through this book and preparing for our chat here. And one of the first things that jumped out to me, and one of my favorite authors, one of somebody who I'm sure a lot of our listeners have on their bookshelf, Daniel Pink, called the book A First Rate Guide to Creativity that explodes the many myths about the topic. And then even in the book, right, you write nearly everything you've been told about creativity are a lie. So let's go right there. What are these myths and these lies that get repeated about creativity to the point that we kind of take them as facts, but you're saying not so fast? Well, creativity is a word that we adopted in America during the Cold War. And it was because it was this desire of the United States to outshine the USSR and to show that we could do better by producing better products, better things, art that was more interesting and contribute to the cultural landscape across the board. 
And then the theme and the concept obviously was fully embraced by the artists and the artistic community. And as we moved forward, it sort of like stayed in that realm. And it's like typically associated with children doing finger paint or Play-Doh, whatever, unless you are fully inserted in an environment, let's say tech, for example, uses the word creativity and innovation consistently and sometimes interchangeably, even if it's not the same. Mm-hmm. And so the myth that has to be broken basically is that creativity is just for certain people like artists or the tech entrepreneurs and that it's also something that people are you know kind of born with and just some specific type of people while it is true that everybody's born with creativity it doesn't belong to a specific type of people what happens is as we grow older and as we are inserted in an educational system, we tend to follow what's been given to us without questioning. We tend to read information and it's a little bit like, well, this is what the textbooks say. And so you're not, you don't have a lot of authority, especially as let's say a middle grader, fourth grade or whatever, you're not going to be challenging everything that is written in a book because it takes so much energy. And uh, so the mythology of creativity basically is that this this world of wonderful ideas that could be ranging from an, an iPhone to a, a whole system of, you know, ecology that cleans up the air or whatever it is that we want to dream for the future it's just for certain people. So those are some of like the biggest myths that hurt and keep people in in their little spots or in their little confined boxes because it has been not necessarily made very, the, the topic of creativity hasn't been given to people in school as a subject to study mm-hmm. outside the arts and it's really much more meaningful than that. And I, you know, as you read the book, I backed up almost every one of my points throughout the book with studies because I thought that was super important. I have read so many books on creativity and they, most of them are wonderful, but they usually are either just all the way on the scientific side or all the way on some sort of imaginary utopian mm-hmm. world. And so I wanted to have a little bit of like my own experience building my business, the experience firsthand that I've gotten from working with artists. I wanted to have the science to back it up. And I also wanted to have artists from history that are important, sort of like connecting all these dots together. And entrepreneurs, obviously. Entrepreneurs are big in the book too. In my work, I've collaborated directly with hundreds of educators to support their success. Do you know which of their ed tech frustrations comes up time and again? The sheer number of tools out there and the difficulty of knowing which ones schools like theirs are using to get results. IXL is different. Not only does it perform the functions of dozens of tools, it's currently delivering results for one in four U.S. students, including those in 95 of the top 100 districts. Another major pain point that comes up when a school is excited to implement a new tool only to find out the teachers hate it. Yikes. It helps to know that IXL is loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, 
saving them time on prep work while enabling them to better support student learning. iXL is research proven to accelerate achievement. Studies across 45 states show that iXL schools outperform non-iXL schools on state assessments. And independent research from Johns Hopkins University verifies that iXL meets ESSA Tier 1 standards. With those results combined with iXL's teacher-friendly reputation, what more could you ask for? If you have a goal to increase achievement for all students, make sure to find out what iXL can do for you. Visit iXL.com forward slash BE for a demo. That's iXL.com forward slash BE. Do you have thoughts on how the, the myths or the exclusionary mindset maybe toward creativity gets perpetuated? Because I, I could see how, one, there's this mindset that a lot of people may have around creativity where they think, well, I'm not creative, right? That's other people. And, I, and, and so it's like that self-perpetuating thing, but also sometimes there's these gatekeepers that pop up around creativity who have a certain uh, mentality of what we are doing is authentic creativity. And outside of that, you see it in media or, you know, whether the concept of somebody who's a quote unquote sellout, right? Well, they made money off of that. They're no longer the starving artist, so to speak. So that they must've compromised on their <laughs> authentic creativity or their, I guess, different groups that create their own definitions of what they think it is and, and isn't that are maybe, I don't know, apart from some of the prerequisites to exist for creativity, which is the purpose. What is it doing? What are you trying to create, right? What's your, what is your goal, which can be unique and can define creativity in different ways, I would think. Well, I think that let's start by the end, which mm -hmm. is what you said about the concept. What is creativity, right? And so creativity is your unique ability to come up with ideas of value that can mm -hmm. be materialized. Because we all can come up with ideas of value, but if we don't have a plan and we don't have the means to make them a reality, then it's just, it doesn't mean much, right? So anybody who is able to create something new of value in their fields, whatever that field is from education to fashion, let's say, has the ability to become creative and to create something that is a breakthrough, right? A breakthrough in any industry, you don't have to come up with the cure to cancer because there are only a certain amount of scientists that are working on that mm -hmm. and they are testing it. So you're right in which the concept should be and the subject should be really given to children, mostly throughout middle school and obviously in high school, because when they are little kids do whatever they want. And that's what you want. You want children who are expressive. You want children who see no limit to their ideas and dreams, et cetera, et cetera, because experimentation and curiosity is actually the number one thing that every person in history who has been creative shows. So the media, as you said, is also sometimes responsible for telling us what is creativity and what is not creativity and who owns it and who doesn't. Mm -hmm. So when we become, I, I think that it's important to question, obviously, what you read because and what you watch, because as that information is being given to you by human beings who are biased, 
who have their own agendas, unfortunately. I mean, journalism and media reporting is not something that is neutral. So we tend to believe the things without necessarily wondering or questioning whether that is something that should be as set in stone, right? Monolithic, or if it should be alive and uh, malleable and adaptable, which is what I think about these ideas and concepts. And they might change in the future. And as we become more adept, uh, like scientists and psychologists and researchers keep studying what is creativity and what is not, then we have more answers to our questions. What we do know about creativity is that it's uniquely human, although I have been reading recently some animals and I don't know what, but like for the most part is is uniquely human and we are the only species really who have this type of ideas and come up with new things. And that also the way that we receive education in the West is stifling in in the sense of again like we have to have textbooks those textbooks go through all this incredible bureaucratic processes of adoption and baptisms and all the things that need to happen for a textbook or any book to be adopted in a school then there is a curriculum then you have to do it this way then if somebody deviates from that that it's wrong then so those those things as you can imagine do not allow for people to think by themselves. Do not allow kids to say, I have a different idea and I am going to prove you wrong or I am going to show you that my idea also works. There are, I don't know, because I mean, my kids go to a very open and creative school, but you know, when public schools have to follow a curriculum because this is, they are funded by our money for taxpayers, they can't deviate from those things too much. So we have to be extremely careful on how we give education to kids because without creativity, there is no progress. And that is the truth. We wouldn't have airplanes, we wouldn't have phones or computers or Zoom or anything without creativity. And so it is very important that this gets to be shown and taught and that there are no gatekeepers pretending that only the chosen ones, right? It's not just Steve Jobs. Yes, he is extraordinarily important and and we should celebrate his accomplishments and what he's given us just by the same you know, token, we should really celebrate Picasso or Jackson Pollock or Frida Kahlo. And, you know, the selling out part that you mentioned is quite interesting because there has never been a better time to be an artist. Artists are really wealthy. This I mean, I know that sometimes they cringe at this, but there is no shame, right? Mm -hmm. And the originality and the authenticity of what an artist puts out in the world should be rewarded financially. And I know that a lot of people, I mean, since I am an insider in the art world, because I have been working as an art advisor for 15 years. And what I do is I build art collections for people and I help my clients navigate. It's a very, very massive market. So I help them navigate that and acquire art that makes sense for them, for their budget, things that they can count on as assets for the future, et cetera. But the, the process of creativity is the same for artists and for engineers and for scientists. It, what differs is 
the end application, if you will, right? I mean, it's not the same if I stand in front of a canvas and try to do something that if I am sitting in front of a computer trying to code for a specific program or whatnot. But the process is exactly the same. And this is something also that doesn't get enough emphasis or explanation that it doesn't matter what you do in the end, but that getting there is usually the same. It's the same steps, the same steps of discovery, the same steps of breakthrough, the incubation phase, the waiting for the idea to hit you. The tr it all starts with trying to find a solution to a problem or trying to find a way to express something that nobody else has done before. And that's also why we celebrate filmmakers that create insanity mm -hmm. and like magic, like everything everywhere all at once. I mean, why was that movie coming right. from totally like unknown filmmakers, like won every award in, in this year because it's new, it's fantastically well done and it hit a chord, you also have to be relevant. And they did. The, it's a perfect example of how we think and digest information is like short, cuts, uh, everything has to be kind of quick. Even though the movie's long, everything mm -hmm. is sort of like this patchwork of things put together in a way that we feel it because we are from this time and we resonate with it. And I, I watched that movie a year and a half ago, whatever, right. when, and it came out. And I'm still thinking about it. Right. And so that's kind of the, the of creativity is that you don't get old with it either, mm -hmm. right? I mean, it's like, obviously, young people have a special tool because they see what for us is sort of like, wow, they see it as normal, right? I mean, it's like, I wasn't born with all this technology. I, I didn't have all this since the day I was a baby. My kids had iPads when they were three. So for them, that's like the norm. And so their brains function in a way that adopts technology with an ease that is not the same for me. It takes me a little longer. But it's uh, what, what that says is that we have upcoming generations that are so extremely well equipped in one hand but on the other hand they are not as excellently well equipped because they are missing a lot of steps also on the way on the things that they like for example handwriting which is so important also for creativity and flow of ideas they right. don't necessarily do that you know and like evolution of human history and if we look back million years ago, we definitely have seen the fastest and the biggest growth in knowledge and technology in the last 20 and super accelerated in the last 10. And it just grows faster and faster. So that means that people need to be more and more creative because you have to come up with more solutions and more systems and, you know, offerings, services, products, etc. that actually can compete in the world as it is right now. Yeah, I mean, so many good examples of what you just said. And one that I'll pull out is your reference to Steve Jobs and the fact that it, that is sort of an illustration of one of the things that makes creativity difficult to teach, at least within the traditional structure of how teaching and learning often happens, and yet supports that it should be done, right? And one of the good examples is 
the iPhone, mm -hmm. which turned out to be the most transformative device of this century so far, right? And I think currently iPhone sales alone account for more annual revenue than like the entire company of Microsoft makes, right? Like that's how successful. And yet when this thing was released, people were, I mean, it was pretty skeptical, right? Other, than the, other than the people who were already fully Apple fans, most other people said, what is this? Why do I need this? And so much of it was the vision and the articulate and the understanding of what made that creation valuable and what tapped into what was going to resonate with people and the simplicity of that vision. And now retroactively, when I said, well, of course, this was creative and this, that, and the other. But <laughs> if you were to teach what should happen, right, you may not have taught that because you would say, well, we don't know how this is going to work out. We don't know. And what we're looking for are right answers. And there's no way to know what the answer to this is. So how can we come about it? But um, it speaks to the fact that, okay, we're saying creativity is, is for everybody. Anyone can learn creativity. So we need to think about, okay, what, what are the important things to know in order to teach it, right? Because it just sounds like, hey, until we make it practical, or anybody can do this. Oh, okay, well, but where do we focus first? Is it mindsets? Is it skills? Is what What are the kind of things to start with to say, we are going to teach everybody to learn how to be creative? Well, I think mindset is the most important thing. And it should be from the beginning to the end, a part of your process. And it should be your, it should be like the thing that you hold on to. And one of the things is claiming it, right? I am creative and I can do things and I can come up with great ideas, right? I mean, it, it's, it, this is not about self-help and like, you know, affirmations and the craziness, but it is, it has a lot to do also with neuroplasticity. And we already know that you can change your brain and that you can train yourself to think differently. And one of the things is creative people claim it. I mean, they are not going around. I have friends who are artists and I interview them a lot for the book and whatnot. And they say, well, we don't go around saying I'm creative because it's going to sound so dumb. And artists are very self-conscious about how the world looks at them and they have to be cool. And they have like all the things that you said before, like, oh my God, are you a sellout? And you have like 10 million bucks cash in your, you have three homes and whatnot. But yeah, people don't go around potentially saying that but they know it and that makes a difference, right? I mean, these are the people who have never said, oh my God, I have a creative block, never. These are the people who are just same. And Steve Jobs never showed up at the board meeting at Apple and say, sorry, folks, I have nothing for you today, bye. He never right. said that, right? I mean, Elon Musk, the same. He never said, mm, I don't really know. He, he might be a mess right now, but we have to acknowledge that he is one of the most brilliant minds that we have had in entrepreneurship in, in the last 10 years, right? So it is mindset is very, very important. And mindset obviously precedes action and attitude. And without action, also there's nothing. A lot of people might feel that they are waiting for the muse to come and show them you know, what to do. And that obviously is part of creative thinking and creativity is to take a step back and to think and to let things sort of marinate inside your brain and give you the answer. But without previous action and work, it's just not going to happen. So I think that people have to understand 
that it is a fine balance between doing, not to the point that you're burnt out and you don't even know how to handle your life anymore because that happens. You know, a lot of people, especially my generation, Gen Xers, we work to the point of like no return. <laughs> mm. Like we work really, really hard and we have done it through our lives. So that is also not helpful in creativity. And I have had clients and worked with CEOs of big companies who for the longest time, they didn't take vacation and they were really like, oh my God, I don't even know why is it that I'm not coming with my best ideas anymore. I said, when was the last time you took a vacation? He says, oh, well, maybe like 18 months ago. So that's not good either. Mm-hmm. So creativity is, is an attitude. It is an action. Like I call it in the book, it's a do. It's a thing that you do. It's a thing that is alive. It's a thing that requires daily work, daily right. effort. And it it should be a part of what you are and who you are and what you do every day because it definitely follows that, especially with what I said before about neuroplasticity, right? And so the more ideas you're able to generate, the better it is going to be for whatever you do. And if you're teaching that to people, you have to allow them to come up with as many ideas as possible. I mean, my book doesn't follow those specific methodologies, but other authors say they have groups of people write down 10 ideas. And so then 10 more, then 10 more until they have 40. And then one of them, it has to be kind of good, right? And so that is... And everybody has this capacity, actually, to like, oh, there is this exercise. How many uses can you think about for a a pen? Like something like a paperclip, right? How many different things can you think about? Like, is it an earring? Is it like to open a, a door? Is it to hold something together? Is it a necklace? You know, and so you go on and on. And so those are the type of things that actually help people open up their minds to see different uses. And creativity is a lot about being someone who is willing to find problems that need to be solved. And it is also kind of, you have to be evaluating all the time. You know, if like you find yourself thinking a lot of like, why isn't anybody doing this? Then that's a sign you should do it. Because if if you are not finding what you're looking for in the marketplace and you've been looking for a while, listen, maybe somebody did it in Alaska. Maybe Mm -hmm. somebody did it in, in, in France somewhere in the south of France. I don't know. But if you haven't found a solution for something that bugs you and that slows you down or that it's inconvenient, then you should definitely think about if you want to do that for your business or your career or your educational system or whatever it is. Yeah, there's a right. There's a, a phrase that's used to um, they critique, I think, products or quote unquote innovations that aren't necessarily aligned to any need, which is a, a solution in search of a problem, right? And that's what kind of what you're talking about as far as like find that issue that needs to be solved and come up with something. And I think a lot of people, when they think, well, creativity is just for these people, they think that that's what creativity is supposed to be is coming up with something new and kind of outside the box that has nothing to do with anything versus saying having that bias toward action as you said right creative where does that come from it comes from create create is something you can do and instead of stressing over okay i came up with 10 ideas 
are each of those individual ideas creative in their own it's they're created you created idea you created opportunities now you can go back through and say okay which of these might make sense and they lead to something novel but that's a combination of existing elements existing knowledge problems that sort of manifested from just organic evolution of things right this didn't this was not previously an issue and now it is because yeah. our society has changed and so now we need something different and it shows how people can kind of be in the driver's seat and we know we know that creativity is valuable right in, in the economy in the workforce we, we can see it and we also know it's valued at least in the abstract right? there was a big linkedin study in the world mm -hmm. economic forum that listed creativity as this number one in, in demand skill what i'm wondering is individual company right when they're saying yes we want people who are creative do they know what they're looking for <laughs> they're I, saying they want creativity. i highly huh? doubt it yeah. i i mean i think that it depends right it, every company operates differently i think apple knows for example what right. they need right. <laughs> apple knows when they say they're looking for a creative um, individual to join the company mm. i think that look corporate america is a very fantastic and unique beast right because for you have on the one hand how immensely all these companies have grown from scratch because IBM was a little company one day, same as Apple, same as Ford, right? Like, so all these things were little things, were little startups, and then they become or became these incredible powerhouses that generate billions of dollars and hundreds of thousands of jobs. So the problem is that once an executive or a group of executives have become comfortable in their jobs and positions, it all trickles down, right? Like, I mean, what the CEO says is what the vice president says is what the managers. So it all comes down from that. And sometimes it's the same thing when you talk to a billionaire who's self-made and it's hard for them to understand or remember when they had a hundred bucks in their account. They're, they can't fully grasp the difference between what they were thinking or feeling back then and what they are thinking and feeling now. So for the CEOs of those companies, it's pretty similar. It's like for you to get to that level, it took so much effort and years and years and years. And once you're there, you sort of have forgotten a little bit what it is to be a creative leader. I'm not saying all, all the CEOs of big companies think that way, but I think that a lot of them want in their hearts to have this creative individuals join their teams, but they cannot fully articulate because when people come up with this in amazing ideas, they're like, oh, but the rule book says no, or mm -hmm. we have uh, systems and processes and we just cannot do it that way, right? But, yeah. but again, I feel that I mean, all these things, leaders in those big positions are usually people who have a growth mindset and they want to be coached too, and they want to make the best that they can for their organization. So it's possible for these people to actually see the implications of a creative individual who can help the company grow or create or be more relevant through new applications of these concepts without having to just give them the manual. This is how it's done, right? And so it's kind of finding for them 
the space for growth and for creativity that still allows the company to run and and in a way that is efficient because efficiency right is one of the most important mm -hmm. economic principles of the firm right like like how all the economists have written in those books efficiency is so important and efficiency is one of the things that americans pride themselves the most which is wonderful except when it is at the expense of creativity that you become so used to your system and it runs so well but it runs so well until it doesn't and why it doesn't run so well because then it encounters the future and when it encounters the future is so hard right because then you have an entire machinery with thousands of people thousands of terminals thousands of machine whatever it is right and so then it becomes a liability Instead of saying, oh, my goodness, I spent all my life building this up and now I'm completely irrelevant because everything moved fast while I was just spending all this money in efficiency and making things faster, then the world moved on and now all these things are irrelevant. And that is the tricky part. And that's why a lot of businesses have disappeared. And that's why a lot of businesses have lost an insane amount of market share uh, because competitors could do things faster. And so I think that is part of the risk of every business that grows too much, too fast, too soon or whatever, it, whatever the path is, because we can't say that Ford grew too fast, too much, too soon, but it was left behind by all the, you know, Japanese and and. German and whatever that did sexier vehicles, faster, smaller, sweeter. Now, I mean, they, they, they cut up in a way, but, but it's not the same. Right. And yeah, it's one of those things where in, in some places, if you don't really have the right culture around creativity and innovation, like it sounds good until people start doing it and you realize, well, that's not what we, that's not what we meant. But I think a lot of it also, it, it is that cultural thing. And it's a piece of how we manage teams focused on creativity and how we leverage the right kind of collaboration, right? You have a chapter in the book, collaboration two mm -hmm. plus two equals five. It's how do we create a two plus two equals five culture of collaboration, not a two plus two equals one, where we have groupthink, where everybody ends up oh. coming up with ideas that are even less interesting than they would have come up by themselves because they're all diluting one another because the incentive structure is inverted. And I think that's a lot of times we talk, talk about creatives and artists and all kinds in, in film, for example, when somebody has a, makes a really great independent film where they're totally on mm -hmm. their own, they're doing on the shoestring budget, whatever. And, and their reward is, oh, they're now they're going to direct a Marvel movie or Star Wars. or something. And then that's when everybody's, oh no, now they're going to you know, it, they're, they're going to lose something because they're going into an environment where the creative vision is already established. And it's whatever creativity they have is now going into a specific box. Mm -hmm. And maybe within the micro, they're making some small decisions. But now it's like, okay, now the surprise of what that person may have done next or created is kind of diminished because now we sort of know what it's going to end up looking like. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where a lot of the tension is. And we don't want that, right? If we really want people and teams who are creative, we want to say, hey, we put these four smart people in a room together and who knows what they're going to come up with because they're going to yes and one each other's ideas, right? Versus yes, but. But how do you... What does that culture look like? Or how would, how would you suggest managing a team like that to create the right incentive structure and the right collaboration to say, yeah, you should be augmented to one another? Well, I'm glad that you 
mention this because uh, this has been something that I have been thinking in the actually always, but in the past two weeks, I've thought about it more because I was sort of like uh, not stuck, but a little bit, a little bit stagnant with a couple of projects that I needed to really move forward. And, you know, what I did is like I sat down, I mean, because I was really burning the midnight oil trying to figure it out. And I just sat down and said, I need to meditate more. I meditate every day, but I'm going to add more. And I thought about a couple of people that I hadn't really interacted in a long time. And I went to them and I solved the problem. So, and they, and so, and everybody is incentivized because there's money for everybody, right? That's the ultimate thing, let's say in a way that is practical, right? Because, you know, sharing credits and whatnot, I mean, that's wonderful in like egalitarian system and whatnot, right. but I think people want money too, right? So everybody got money. I was like, I'm going to split this in like, I'm not going to make more, even if it's my thing and they are going to make equal amount of money that I am. So I had lived this just now. And I mean, every company obviously can't really just like open up bonuses like that crazy, right? But they can actually set an, an incentive structure in like their, I mean, whatever it is that they do and how they recruit and how they bring people in by saying, if we work together as teams, this team will get this bonus and you guys can split equally, right? On top of, I mean, like if the managing director of a certain team is making a million bucks, right? And has separate, like, I don't know, stock options, whatever. And then the team itself can win, I don't know, 500,000 and split that in like five people. I mean, I think it's cool to have a hundred thousand bucks more a pop right than not so i think that monetary incentives in that way are very very welcomed and helpful because and so that incentivizes the team i don't know if if this is something that people have thought to do obviously everything has to do with the profits of a co- i mean because bonuses are always tied to profits right. and like it depends if it's a public company i mean like there are many things here to ponder that i don't have the answers specifically to each case but it's usually how it works and i think that what the the teams that thrive the best are the ones with the the the, the largest amount of diversity right i mean is is like if you put together the team where everybody is the same comes from the same background everybody went to ivy league everybody's white everybody i mean great but i don't think it's as it's going to be as creative as the one where you have a lot of you know, diverse people from different countries and different backgrounds and different races because they have experiences that are very valuable and no experience is going to be more valuable than the other. It's just a combination of how people see things and what they know in their lives. And sometimes you miss out on addressing a particular market because you don't have people who understand how that market behaves or how that might market reacts to you know a product or an ad or a service and things like that. So mm-hmm. the more diverse the team, mm-hmm. whatever that might mean, because it, it like it's it's very difficult to say it has to be this thing, right? I, I can't say that. It has to be whatever works for that company. But understanding that bringing all these different backgrounds and passions and perspectives is really what enriches 
the bottom line it and it does yeah that's the diversity can certainly be race gender age mm -hmm. cross-functional roles right uh, a lot of listeners who may be in schools thinking about okay when we have these groups of leadership decision making are we including newer staff members newer teachers educators are you recruiting including people from across different roles and departments right so that we're getting different perspectives so we're not missing things that are obvious and also you mentioned right financial incentives and there are other things that are correlated with that and it's not necessarily directly but as far as the way we assess evaluate you know and and tune into employee performance are we is there encouragement to come up with some excellence right in these settings because it's going to lead to positive evaluations potentially an opportunity for a promotion or a raise or whatever is the the right next step and also do those systems account for being being able to account for individual uh, contributions to mm -hmm. a group effort all right and where many cultures work cultures would not necessarily incentivize collaboration because of the competition around the scarcity of opportunities to say, okay, well, are you going to get the best out of your teams and your company as a whole if everybody in that room is only worried about how they come out the best? And yeah. it's going to lead to a completely different incentivization. And that can apply across any kind of setting because everybody has variable motivation or everybody works for a reason everybody works to make a living but everybody also wants to have their work acknowledged and recognized and understood Absolutely. and to have, have fulfillment in that and if the only way to gain that is through competition because it's somewhat of a zero-sum game then is that going to get the best and i don't know if that relates to we haven't mentioned this yet but this is of course contributes to your perspective on creativity we've talked about how you work in the art world now but you started as a corporate lawyer before making the change to entrepreneur yeah. and art world innovator and certainly i'm sure that played into your perspective on where there was a lack of opportunities to be creative or to, to fulfill your creative urge right and those <laughs> skills that you have in an environment where that just wasn't really part of it and was perhaps never really going to be part of what you were going to do. And now a quick break for a word from our sponsor, MyFlex Learning. Let's talk about flex time in schools. The potential benefits to our students make it totally worth exploring. There's more time for personalized learning, increased choice and agency for students and the increased engagement that comes along with it, dedicated time for intervention, and overall as school leaders, it provides you and your faculty more tools to increase academic achievement. But the implementation and management of flex time can be a challenge. Tricky logistics and a lack of clear accountability systems can prevent teachers from buying in. It can hold you back from ensuring students make good use of their time. That's why I'm pleased to share that MyFlex Learning provides a solution to these challenges and more. MyFlex Learning helps you create and manage flexible time for any purpose. And with the seamless SIS integration, a student locator, flexible daily rostering, and intuitive mobile app, it eliminates the common challenges of implementation and management. If you want to see for yourself, visit myflexlearning.com forward slash BE 
to learn more and receive $500 off the first year of use. That's myflexlearning.com forward slash BE. You'll learn all about MyFlex Learning, what it can do for your school, and you'll receive a $500 off offer for your first year. Check it out. The, I mean, the shift and the pivot I made, and it was 14 years ago, was out of necessity, basically, because it, it was a spiritual necessity mm -hmm. and a psychological one, because I really I couldn't be trapped in the world of law firms anymore mm -hmm. or in any legal capacity. And I think that it's important to understand that anybody can start something new right? Anybody can shift and pivot. These things are not easy at any age, but I think that if you over-intellectualize the change or whatever, then you're never going to do it because you think too much about all the mistakes you're going to make or all the roadblocks you're going to encounter or all the things that are going to go wrong. And then no, forget it. You're not going to do it. But I believe that for me, particularly, it was really something that not only changed my entire life and the course of my life, but it was necessary for my survival as a human being, right? I wanted to be happy. I wanted to contribute something else. And people may be wondering, well, what did you, why did you do this? Why did you go to law school and spend so many years practicing? is because I grew up in a house in Venezuela and super conservative Catholic and they my parents didn't have the training or the skill to think like an American right I mean they never thought that there could be any possibilities for anybody outside of traditional careers which is what they knew you were a doctor you were a, an attorney or an engineer something like to them it was being serious about right. your life right and you had to be in a dependable career so that you would get a salary for the rest of your life right even mm -hmm. though both my parents were entrepreneurs it's a very funny thing that they wanted for me the safe that they think they lacked. And I obviously do not regret anything because for me, it worked out the way it had to. And I think, you know, going to law school and practicing as a corporate attorney has helped me tremendously to think through so many different aspects of like the logical thinking. It's also great for reading and writing and whatnot. But I believe that what I'm doing right now is what I was meant to do is, is I'm serving my clients in a way that I could have never served them because with passion and the desire to grow and to innovate and to be creative and to do great things for the world, you can go much farther than, I mean, it's not that lawyers don't have a function. They do and we mm -hmm. love them. That's fine. But I, like in the environment I had and in the field Mm -hmm. per se, there was really nothing that I could contribute. There was nothing other than just following the path of here is your rule book. This is what you have to do. Take care of these contracts and be good to the clients. And that's fine, but it wasn't for me. And I think that it's important that people understand that there is something inside of you, no matter how buried you think it is, that has that seed of that contribution and that greatness that you can give to the world. And I don't know what that is. You do. If you want to do something else, but you know, not everybody is also caught for this. Not everybody should quit their jobs and start something new. But what I'm saying is, is that has been on the back of your mind 
I am the proof that it can happen and it, you can be wildly successful even without having a proper training, which I didn't. I mean, I, it's just like I, I didn't go and work for a gallery or for an auction house or a museum. No, I was like, you know what? This is it. I'm just doing it. So it was bold and insanely risky, but it paid off and here we are. And honestly, I also think that it gives me a lot of courage every time that I think that phrase that says the biggest disruptors are always outsiders like and the reason is very obvious you don't you haven't been trained to think like everybody right and so I hope that people feel this words like when you are an outsider you see possibilities you see gaps you see options and you see a vast array of things that if you have been inside for too long you can't see it anymore or if you mm -hmm. have been trained with the books and the authorities and the secure pathways and whatever, then you don't see anymore a way to innovate or a way to differentiate yourself. Yeah. And then, I mean, there's certainly in that whole story there, there's you know, something that you said about intuition, tapping into it and not being afraid of it. It can seem, it doesn't mean living an evidence-free existence. You can mix that intuition with rationality, but also so much of intuition can be about your lived experience, about being in the moment, about being reflective and thinking. And then you see, you begin to have these instincts and thoughts about the things you should be doing or what would be right or what's the right move. And you can't always necessarily put a finger on exactly what it is, but it is the summation of where you've been before right? mm -hmm. and things that you kind of know and you just start to feel, okay, this is not the right place for me or this is not the right way to be doing it or on the flip side, this is exactly the right idea. And I don't know how to explain it yet, right? You'll kind of see it when we go, but this is the direction to go. But it's a, again, it's a word, intuition, just like creativity and how it becomes part of that profile of creativity that a lot of people would just say, like, I don't know if I have that. How do I have that? Or I, I have the reverse. And that's why I, I go to learning to kind of benefit from your lived experience and just living in those moments and saying, okay, like, I have seen and done enough things to have developed instincts if mm -hmm. I'm open to them. Yeah, well, intuition is a big part of all that I do, but it's also a big part of anybody who is or believes to be creative. Mm -hmm. And and it's having an answer without really knowing where it came from, because you, what you said about experience is right. But at the same time, intuition gives you answers of things that you have no clue, right? And, you know, a lot of psychologists have tried to fully explain intuition in business in particular, and they can't fully articulate it because it's just not possible right. yet, I guess. Maybe it's the studies that we have been able to read and whatnot do not fully explain where it comes from or what it is. And children are highly intuitive, even though they don't have as much experience as us adults, right? And they act on those intuitive impulses or they feel things without necessarily knowing where that comes from and without trying to be too woo-woo, right? You know, intuition is simply having an answer for something that you don't necessarily know where it comes from. And the intuition is always right. 
what is wrong is our reading and our interpretation because it comes in symbols, it comes in words. And obviously it is so hard as humans who have had a life and been out in the world to let themselves be led by this voice. And as we tend to trust our intuition more, we tend to, tend to see the benefits that come with that. And I think that one of the things obviously that sharpens intuition the most is silence and meditation and spending a lot of time observing your surroundings is also a very important part of feeding that into your brain because we are always on the go and always running and we have so many distractions we live with the phones almost like attached to our bodies and whatnot and we forget to pay attention to our surroundings and mm -hmm. this is a it's a big mistake because we miss out on those opportunities for business or for career advancement that are there hiding in plain sight. And mm -hmm. I think it's a missed opportunity to not embrace what's around us, that it's valuable and we want to use it to figure out the next step of something or the solution to a problem, but also once you have a thought that has been hitting you out mm -hmm. of the blue and you repeatedly feel it or think it or whatever, do not dismiss it, right? I mean, it's important to have an intuitive log where you have a, a note of that thought and how many times and why and work with that thought. So a lot of people will say, well, man, I am sorry. I'm too practical for that. That's fine. I mean, it's just you're missing out on things that are really, truly important guides, you know, and like we talked about Steve Jobs. He always spoke about his Zen meditation practice daily. He talked about his intuition, like when he conceived the iPhone, he didn't know how it was going to be put together when he talked to the engineers about a container that was completely flat and had nothing outside everything all the operating system was going to be hidden inside it was going to look perfect he's he wanted a glass that was coming from from the mouse actually on on the laptops and everybody told him you're crazy. And he said, I'm not. I mean, it's like, I know this can be done. And because I feel it, I mean, that's like when people talk about genius, that's kind of it. But at the mm -hmm. same time, we all can be geniuses because mm -hmm. it, but again, you have to have sort of like the means to get things done. Right. Because if tomorrow I, I want to think about something insanely amazing, but I don't know how to do it at all. Mm -hmm. And I don't have the money and I don't have it. So then I'm like a little cuckoo right I'm like okay well what are you talking about it has to be within it has to be a stretch far outside enough to make you really scratch your head but it, it can't be oh, it can't be so far out that you're like I will need to go out tomorrow and raise 100 million bucks and all I have is a thousand bucks in my account that that's not going to work out right so I think people have to that's why I like the idea of the intuitive that is mingled with the rational because mm -hmm. we need sort of both to operate in a way that makes sense for us and business minds business minds need a lot of intuition but they also need a lot of rationality right yeah and intuitive when you think about intuitive 
design principle, right? That's kind of, it's something that it's guiding you where you know it should be, even if it's not explained. And anecdotally, I hear way more people regretting not having followed their intuition than the reverse, but so often it's, it's the subtext for a long time and we refuse to read it until it's the text until something very obvious happens that says okay you have to do this so often intuition is in conflict with the status quo and uh -huh. we find reasons to put that off and say well it feels more risky to do something different than to keep doing what i'm doing and we're not great at calculating the opportunity cost or you know, the opportunity cost is so much in potential, but realistically it, it's tapping into these things that lead us to inventing the future, right? And this is where I want to close our conversation, but that concept of creativity is inventing the future and it's micro and macro, right? There's of course the macro of how creative visionaries, creative companies, enterprises, it's are creating, you know, the future that we are all living in as far as technologies and systems and all those sorts of things. But it's also in the micro in our own lives that we are, we have the ability to create what we want our life to be in small ways and in large ways. Like you mentioned earlier, it doesn't necessarily mean it's an entire disruption. Okay. I'm throwing away my career and starting something new or anything. It doesn't have, it can be that. <laughs> it doesn't have to be that. It can be much smaller pieces to say, look, there's something that I want to be different or my ideal vision of this thing in my life is this and it looks different right now. And, I, and, and so now I can create that versus just sort of hoping that that happens. So I wanted to give you the final word on on inventing the future through creativity and the encouragement, I guess, that you would give listeners to say, look, trust the process, so to speak, right? If you work through this, you have it within you to create what you want things to see and you just make a plan and you do it. So without vision, people perish. It's, it's one of the verses in the scripture, but like, I'm not trying to indoctrinate anybody. I'm just saying vision is a very important thing because everything starts really with an idea. And that's why creativity for me is such a fundamental topic of life. And the ideas that we have, if we are bold enough and courageous enough to pursue them, there is a big chance that we can see them materialize, but it all takes effort. Regardless of how advanced our communications and technology and all the hoopla of wonderful things that surround us these days from AI to metaverses and whatever you want to call it, things still need work. I tell this to my children who are 15 and 13 every day, right? I mean, it is like, yes, it's easier. That doesn't mean it's not going to take a lot of effort. And that doesn't mean that, that there are things that never really change. And right. that's why I went so much into history as far back as the Renaissance, because it, the amount of work that someone like Leonardo da Vinci was putting into his work or Thomas Alva Edison is the same amount of work that Steve Jobs put into his things. It's the same amount of work that Elon Musk is putting into his things, right? And it's not about being them because you are you. But it is about understanding that breakthroughs, amazing ideas, creations take time and commitment and patience. Whether you're writing a book or a film, or you want to launch a phenomenal product or upgrade the systems in your company 
or ultimately develop a curriculum for a school that is like revolutionary, right? Whatever it is that you want to do, it, it requires your dedication. Creativity is one of those things that requires a lot of discipline. And Edward de Bono, who was one of the foremost psychologists and researchers, used to say that all the time. Creativity requires, it's not rigidity, it's discipline. It is the willingness to do things every day, little by little, until you find your big breakthrough. And like you said, you don't need to disrupt your life or you don't need to disrupt the market. It's not about inventing Uber again, right? It, it, it is not about that. It is about the fulfillment also that comes with seeing your creations and your thoughts and ideas, whatever was a thought one day, to see them come to fruition and to pursue them. And you also need to be able to discern when is the time to say this is not working out and let me go with this other thing, right? And so I obviously am a proponent of entrepreneurship because I'm one myself and that has many faces. It, you don't need to own 20 business at the same time to be considered right. an entrepreneur. You don't have to have them generating a billion. I mean, if that, if that happens, fantastic, but it doesn't have to be like that, right? It's all about this conviction and self-image that you have given to yourself. And that's why we go back to mindset, which is a word that I started at the beginning of the podcast talking about, because mindset precedes everything. Mm -hmm. You Mindset and then action, right? And then how do you assume this new phase of who you are and how you see yourself, how you present yourself and how others will see you and respect you and understand you, right? And so it is critical that you start with the new parameters of how you want to operate within your world. And inventing the future, I think that we all have the capacity to do things that contribute to the better world that we all want to have, right? And every contribution that is not illegal and is not against the laws of nature, I always tell that, like, if it's not illegal, if it's not against the laws of nature, who is actually stopping you from doing those things? So if you've been thinking about ways to improve, ways to create something else that is different from the norm, Going against the status quo, which you also mentioned, is also, I think it's not just for being belligerent, right? It's like going against the status quo to go, like, say on the record and say some things that are crazy, like we see in the political landscape or things like that. that that's just doesn't bring anything. But going against like, okay, well, they said it has to be done this way. Like when I wanted to open my business, I spoke with people and they told me, you're not going to succeed. This is not for you. Is this a club and you're not allowed because you don't have all the background and all the degrees. I said, okay, fine. I'm going against status quo anyway. You know, I'm, I'm like the establishment knows nothing. They will see, try me, right? So I, I think that it is important to start with the big vision, but it requires little steps every day, every day. And, and that discipline and that consistency is what actually builds empires, is what actually builds big businesses, is what big, big brands or not. It doesn't have to be the biggest brand. It has to be whatever you want it to be. It has to be whatever provides the lifestyle that you think is good for you. And to do that, you just have to be 100% committed. You just have to be on board. Things are not going to happen 
if you don't drive them. And look, I have been in this business, as I said, 14 years. I know everybody and everybody knows me and I still have to do all sorts of things every day. It's not that I am like doing the minutia. Like I am actually involved in all parts of my business because I really want to know what's going on. But what I'm saying is like, I still have to reach out. I still have to say, hey, I'm doing this. I still have to shake hands. I still have to show up in person. And this is daily work. It's daily work. And, and that fuels my ideas. Sometimes I've had the fortune that people come to me on their own and say, let's do this together, or we would like to hire you for this. But for the most part, it's me actually saying, hey, I had this idea. Would you like to hire me to do it? And you know, that's freaking hard at times, right? right. I mean, it's right. like, oh, I could be this ice queen sitting on my thing. And no, no, no. I'm like, oh, this is interesting. I would love to do this. I would love to work with these people in this like south of Spain and do this crazy project that I thought about. Let me ask them if they say yes to this. And so it's important to have that kind of desire to put yourself out there, right? And keep asking and retain that inner child, which is what most people really don't have that inner child anymore, that fun, that curiosity, you know, the no limits kind of thing. And most people aren't really paying attention to their surroundings to see what's missing or to see what are the trends that may become mainstream. And that is even good for people who like to invest, people who like to put money on the stock market and whatever. If you spot things that are marginal and early on and follow them with seriousness, you can make some serious box there. Again, I don't want to give investment advice because that's, that's not what I do. But what I'm saying is that these are principles that keep replicating themselves in every area, right? I mean, especially in business and, and creativity is pay attention to the margins, pay attention to new trends, make sure that you're looking at children and teenagers and what are they doing and what are they talking about? What are they playing with? What are, these are very, very important and sometimes overlooked areas for opportunities. Whatever kids do is usually what becomes the mainstream. I am not on TikTok, but my kids were way before it became a thing. <laughs> it's same thing with, they were playing with metaverses and they were doing things with video games that I could have been an investor if I wanted to, but I didn't because that's, I didn't pay attention to that. But I think it's like, it's important to pay attention to what's going on and in, in your microcosmos, in your macrocosmos and like wh whatever it is that you're doing, whomever it is you're involved with, no matter how separated you feel you are from reality, sometimes people in academia are like, oh, I am a, a professor, tenure professor, whatever, and I just don't have time for that. No, I think you do. Right. Yeah, and, and, and that point about that discipline, doing it, it happens a little bit at a time. Right? It's not this idea we have that there has to be this one big swing, this one, especially for sustained success. You know, the companies that all of a sudden come out of nowhere and get this high valuation and get a lot of money, they're all, most often the ones that a couple of years from now, you never hear from them again because they weren't built up over time. Or if you're wanting to encourage a student who is getting Bs in a certain mm -hmm. class or Cs and they want to create an A, right? Studying a little bit every day and working your way up to it is going to be a better way to sustain, to achieve that and sustain that knowledge than 
just cram the night before the exam. Maybe you'll do well on the test, but then you're going to. <laughs> so we want to encourage that it is that discipline. It's if you want to achieve the things that other people aren't achieving, you have to do the things that they're not doing. Look where they're not looking, right? Pay attention, look for opportunities and just stick with it. And that's there, you know, that's creation. Listeners, the book is How Creativity Rules the World. It's available from HarperCollins Leadership. Uh, you can find it at Maria's website. We'll put the link below. Please do also subscribe to The Authority for more author interviews like this one or visit bpodcast.network to learn about all of our other shows. Uh, Maria, thanks so much for being on The Authority. Thank you, Ross, and everybody who's listening. Thank you for your time. I hope you had fun. Just to clarify something about the book, it's available wherever books are sold. So you can buy it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Bookshop, Books A Million, whatever it is that you use to buy your books. I hope you enjoy and have a wonderful day. This has been The Authority Podcast, hosted by Ross Romano, edited by Gage Sanderson. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.